We're just so thankful to be here with you all and to share all that God is doing in the United Kingdom. I thought that whole video through, how can I put this the best way? So that wasn't, that wasn't off the top of my head. That was five minutes in the making. So that's, that's all you need to know about me. <laughs> but Gracie and I, we're so excited to be here and to just, just show everything that God is doing in the United Kingdom. Uh, as you heard in the video, uh, the Lord has called us and is leading us to join a team of church planning missionaries that are in the United Kingdom. At this time, there's already six couples that are there, um, a few single missionaries, and there's actually three more of us or four more of us on deputation raising support to go to the United Kingdom. And God has opened up such an amazing door. And uh, if I can give just a little bit of an update, this video now is over a year and a half old, and uh, so there's updates to the ministry. But really quick, if I could share a little more of the need. Um, as you heard in that video, church, the UK at one time, it really was the spiritual center of our world. Uh, some of the greatest preachers, teachers, missionaries, people that are often quoted in our churches today came from that part of the world. People like Charles Spurgeon, uh, the Wesley brothers, Robert Murray McShane, Evan Roberts, even men like George Whitfield who came to America and preached revivals all up and down the east coast of our nation. They came from England. Uh, our English Bible we get from that part of the world, and a lot of our Christian heritage came from there. And yet, in a country where once over 80% of the population attended church regularly, if you were to go there today, you would not find a Christian nation. In fact, you would find a post-Christian nation, and in many cases, you would find a nation that is proud of the fact that they are no longer considered a Christian nation. In the UK today, less than 5% of adults attend church regularly. And that is, that's every church. That's not just churches we would agree with. That's the Anglican Church, the Church of England. That's the Catholic Church, the Pentecostal Churches, the Holiness Churches. You name it. That's all the Baptist churches and everything. Less than 5% of adults attend church regularly. And what's scarier than that is that less than 1% of children attend Sunday school. Less than 2% of children will ever go to Sunday school before they reach adulthood. And because of that, you now have two generations of people that know absolutely nothing about God. You have adults, one of the missionaries, Lord willing, that will be starting underneath, one of the veteran missionaries that have been there for many years. Uh, he was out knocking on a door one day in Birmingham, England, and he was able to speak to a British man and share the gospel with him. And he finished reading through uh, passages of Scripture and presenting the gospel to him. And this man, after he was completely finished, he stopped him and he said, that all sounds so nice, I just have one question for you. He said, that book you just read, he said, it sounds so nice. And then he asked this question. He said, did you write that book? Now understand, this is an adult British man. It's not maybe an immigrant who came from some Eastern European country where, that grew up Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist. This is an adult British man that had never before heard the word of God read in his life. And it's not even the next generation, the children, my wife had the opportunity of teaching in a Bible club while we were there, and um, she was teaching some children, and just as the club was opening up, um, there's two new children there, and one of the workers said the name Jesus Christ, just opening up the club. And these two children sitting close to the front, their eyes got wide, their mouths dropped open, they gasped, they were shocked because the only time in their life they had ever heard the words Jesus Christ was as a curse word. And they'd never before in their life heard that Jesus Christ is a man, let alone he's the Son of God. They've never heard what he did coming to the earth, dying on the cross to pay for their sins, raising again, rising again the third day. They'd never heard any of this. They just thought, why would these American church people, why would they curse like that? I thought this, these were supposed to be good people. And there are two generations that know nothing about God. If I can say this, just um, uh, to show you the need, but also to give you a warning. Uh, church, they say that England is 10 to 15 years ahead of America. 
in things like pop culture, music, fashion, and religious affairs, our nation is 10 to 15 years behind them. Understand, when a nation turns their back on God, everything else is let in. We're seeing that in our country today. Do you know in the, in the country of England, and you can look this up. I had to look it up the first time I heard it. I didn't believe it. In the country of England, it is illegal for 12-year-olds to smoke cigarettes as long as someone who's at least 16 years old or older purchases them. And you'll walk down the streets and you'll find children almost on every street corner in some of the cities that are standing there smoking cigarettes. And you'll walk up and say, I know you're not 12. You've got to be like 10 or even nine years old. And they'll say, sir, I'm 12, I'm 12. Because they know as long as they're 12, they can get away with it. And what's scarier than that is that children as young as eight years old can drink alcohol in their home as long as their parents are present. And you say, how in the world are they in the state they're in? It's because their children are allowed to do whatever they want. And church, our country is 10 to 15 years behind the country where 12-year-olds can smoke and 8-year-olds can drink legally. Our country is that far behind. And if we don't stand on God's word, if we don't live the lives that God has given us to live, I've seen where we're going in church. We don't want to be there. And so, yes, I tell you this to say, please pray for us. I want you to know where we're going. But more than that, it should be a warning here to us as American Christians that we need to live Christian lives. If our country is going to stay Christian, if you would still consider it Christian, if we're going to stay Christian, we have to get back to God's Word. We have to live the lives that God has given us to live. Now, I've given you a little bit of the need. Now, let me tell you what's going on because God's doing an amazing work. Gracie and I, we have three main burdens. I'll walk through them quickly and we'll get into God's word. And if you do have any questions, I'll take them after these three. Um, but God has given us a burden to plant New Testament churches. He's given us a burden to start evangelistic Sunday schools. And he's given us a great burden to reach international people. Now, in the video, you heard that the Crown Christian Heritage Trust was founded. And this is a British-based charity. It was founded by Christians. The board of directors are all Christians that are there, uh, um, elderly, uh, or I should say mature Christians, not all elderly, but mature Christians that are there. And what um, they, if they hear that online, they may not like that. But what the trust does is because it's British-based, it gives us the legal standing to be in the country as missionaries. So we don't have to get another job. In fact, we're not allowed to get another job as missionaries, but we're able to be there. And legally, we have the standing to start churches, start Sunday schools, hold summer camps, all these things where the government, they're not necessarily helping us, but they can't harm us because we're there legally. And so another thing that this trust does, this charity, is it gives us the opportunity for anything, you name it, buildings, property, buses, anything like that can be donated to us completely for free. So all the pictures you saw in this video, besides the very first one, that's Temple Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, besides that one, all the other church buildings you saw have all been given for free to the work there. And church, when I say free, I mean free. I mean, we don't pay a penny or a pence for them. We just walk in, turn on the lights, and start working for the Lord. And this opportunity is continuing to expand. In the, in the video, it said five churches have been started. That number is now up to six. The first five were all um, planted and chartered. They're Baptist churches in England. The sixth one is now in Welshpool, Wales. And right now, we're legally in talks with three more buildings that have just recently closed down. And the members there, the, the owners that hold the rights to the building, they don't want to see it turned into a bar. They don't want to see it turned into a nightclub or even turned into a mosque. And so they want to give it to someone who will continue preaching the gospel. And so at this point, there's a possibility that very soon, three more church plants could be started in the United Kingdom. And uh, really, churches, at this point, we're praying more for laborers necessarily than buildings because we have more buildings than we have couples. 
We have more buildings than we have missionaries to take. And we're having to almost say, God, you've got to bring more people so we can take these buildings. But Gracie and I, our first desire, our main desire is to plant churches. We understand you read the New Testament. God works through his church. That God is always working through the local church. Just read the book of Acts. And so we understand that is the first and foremost, that's the priority. But then also beyond that, um, starting evangelistic Sunday schools. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, where there are no lambs, there will soon be no sheep. And the church who is not reaching the next generation is the church that will very soon die off and close its doors. And so we're going to reach the next generation. There's much I could talk about with that, but I'll just say after the service, if you want to hear about the Sunday School Day Parade, you can come to me at the table. I'll tell you all about it. We just don't have the time to explain everything. And uh, my wife's nodding at me like, yeah, you don't have the time. You got you to get on with this. Um, but no, we're, we're reaching the next generation. And it's actually through the Sunday School that we're planning these churches. So when we're given a building, the first thing we start is a Sunday School. And as we're reaching the children, because no one's reaching the children, understand in the, U- in the United Kingdom, Nine times out of 10, if you ask a British church, what are you doing for children's work? The answer you will receive, not from all, but most, is that the Sunday school is dead. Children have no desire to come to church. Parents have no desire to send their children to church. The Sunday school is dead. I've had British pastors tell me, or a British pastor tell me, I don't even go after children. If they come through the doors, I'll teach them, but I'm too old. I got to wait for someone younger. I'm never going to reach them myself. Could you imagine? You know, Jesus Christ said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And God is interested in the next generation being reached with the gospel. And so as we go in, we start these Sunday schools. And then as we reach these children, we reach through them to their parents. And we're planting churches through the Sunday schools. And so we have a desire to start these Sunday schools throughout the United Kingdom. And then one more, God has given us a great burden for international people. Now understand God's not called us to the Middle East. He's not called us to parts of Asia where these Eastern religions are are the main religion, things like um, Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims. Uh, But God has brought people from all over to the United Kingdom, uh, or excuse me, all over the world to the United Kingdom. If I could put it in terms of the gospel, the Great Commission, God has brought the uttermost to our Jerusalem. And you're able to reach people from almost every country in the world right there in England. And so we started praying, God, how can we reach these people? And God opened up a door. And it's not just happening in the UK. It's happening all over the world. But God opened up a door where we're able to hold free English classes in all of our chapels and all the church plants. So normally on a Tuesday or a Thursday, maybe a Friday, we'll hold a free English class. Many of these people come to England. They don't know anything about English other than the word free and the word English. So they come to the free English class. So that's how you get them. But then they sit down. You're able to give them a grammar lesson and then you're able to give them a teaching or excuse me, a reading lesson straight from God's word. And you teach them how to read and comprehend English by reading through the Bible. Now, church, understand people from Eastern religions, most of them would not just come into a service like this, sit down and hear the word of God preached. They just wouldn't. Being Christians is against their culture, not just their religion, their culture, the way they were raised. They're against Christians. But they'll come down into a church building for a free English class. They'll sit across the table, call me teacher, and I can take God's word and still teach them the gospel while teaching them to speak English. And church, it's almost like you see a light bulb come on. Do you know in these Eastern religions, they've never heard that the creator God loves them. You know, they have a God, their God is a God of wrath, of anger, of rules. Now, we have a God who who founded human government. We have a God that has righteous anger and holy wrath. That's true, but the Bible says God is love. They've never heard that the creator God loves them, not their family, 
And not, not their culture, not their country, them personally. And as you explain that, it's almost like their eyes get wide, they brighten up, and they say, God loves me? I've seen a lady from Bangladesh who the first time she truly understood, just a beginner level, I'm just struggling to communicate day-to-day things with her, teaching her just how to buy a train ticket is one of the first things we're trying to teach. And yet when she understood, God loves me, it was almost like her, her eyes started to tear up a little bit and she, she couldn't believe it. And church, we're able to share the gospel through these English classes. And uh, through this ministry, we've seen Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, and even Muslim people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so Gracie and I were uh, certified through Crown College to teach English as a second language. You wouldn't know that hearing me speak, but if you talk to Gracie, you'd know it. And, um, and so every one of these chapels, these churches that we're going to plant, we have a desire to start these Sunday schools and see these international people reached. And um, something we even, when we were living in Tennessee in our master's degree, we were holding a free English class on the University of Tennessee campus, and we saw Chinese transfer students trust Christ as their Savior through English classes. So it's not just happening there, it's happening all over the world. And God's doing a great, a great thing through this. And uh, we praise the Lord for that burden. Gracie and I, as I said, we've been on deputation now over a year and a half, just over 19 months. And uh, we're sitting right at 90% support. We're praying in this next month that we'll be at full support, be able to apply for our visa. And Lord willing, sometime this summer, uh, make the move over. And when we get there, I'll just say this in case this is a question someone may have. When we get there, as soon as we get there, we'll work underneath a veteran missionary. We'll learn from them for at least a year. Uh, maybe a little more just depending on the situation. Then as God opens the door, we'll go out and begin planting churches uh, as the Lord opens that door. And uh, we just ask that you'd pray for us. That's the biggest thing. We understand that, yes, deputation's about support, but more than monetary support, it's about prayer support. We know that we could go to the United Kingdom, work for 50 years, work our fingers to the bone in our own strength and accomplish nothing for eternity. Uh, But through God's power, through prayer, through God's people praying for us, we can see great and mighty things accomplished. So we ask that you'd pray for us. Um, But is there any questions at this time before we open uh, the word of God? Um, Just as you're thinking, let me share one more thing. I have my Bible open to this exact passage for a reason. Um, Just a little testimony about our support. You know, this thing happened last March about just a little over a year ago. This this thing that kind of shut down the entire world. Yeah, that, that thing. Um, Gracie and I, we're at 30% support. We were on deputation from August of 2019 to March 2020, and uh, everything was shut down. We went home for two and a half months. Churches weren't open. Meetings were canceled, over two and a half months of meetings. I started praying, Lord, how are we supposed to raise support if we can't go to churches? How are we ever going to get there if we don't have the support to get there? It's not quite like the old days where, you know, they packed everything in their coffin, put it on a boat, and just sailed for, for other countries. It's not quite like that. How do we get our support? And the Lord led me to 1 Corinthians 5, 24, where the Bible says, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Amen. And God encouraged me to know that, you know, my, excuse me, God's faithfulness, it's not contingent upon my faithfulness. You know, these ladies, they just sang, he never gave up. Aren't you encouraged to know that even when we're not faithful, he's still faithful? Even if we've had a momentary lapse of faith, he's still faithful to us. And God said, look, I'm faithful. I've called you, I'll do it. Now the Lord's raised over 60% of our support during COVID. The only way you can explain that is that it's God. And so we're just absolutely thrilled about what God is doing. Uh, But is there any um, questions at this time, anything Uh, Maybe I I rushed through or anything that you'd like more clarity about before we open the Word of God. Anyone this evening? 
All right, very good. I'll say this after the service. If you have any easy questions, I'll be at the table. I'm your guy for that. If you want to know what language they speak in England, I got that answer. Um, my wife, she's the resident scholar. She grew up in England. If you heard it in the video, her parents were missionaries there for 10 years. So you may not get the British accent out of her, but any hard questions, she'll take those. So, but Pastor, thank you so much for allowing us to um, present our ministry. If you would take the word of God, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and before you inwardly groan, because I know you won't verbally groan, before you inwardly groan and say, man, another missionary's preaching from Matthew 28, we're not going to the end of the chapter, don't worry. Matthew 28, verse number one is where we'll be, and uh, let me read one verse to you from Hebrews, and then I'll join you there in Matthew 28, number one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, notice what the Bible says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Notice, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Remember that phrase, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, Matthew 28, verse number 1. The Bible says in verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became his dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. Church, this evening with the Lord's help, I'd like to look at this thought. Run your race. Run your race. You know, in life, life is full of races. One of those races, if you're here this evening, you're alive, there's a race called life. You're running it. You don't really have a choice whether or not you're running it. You're here, you're running it. You know, some of us say, I didn't really like the family I was born into. That's a race that we can't, we can't argue with. The family that we have is the family God's given us. You know, I, I say this as well. Maybe you say, I wish I wasn't born in this time period. Why do I have to be born when COVID happened? Or why do I have to be alive? Your pastor, maybe he thinks, why do I have to pastor a church in a time where, you know, honestly, a couple hundred years ago, people wanted to come to church. I didn't have to beg them to come to church. Why couldn't I pastor then? The fact of the matter is, if you think about the book of Esther, just as Mordecai said to Esther how she was born for such a time as this, we don't have that choice. We're here. There's certain things we can't choose. Now, there's certain races we can choose. I'm going to go to college for this degree. I'm going to pursue this job. I was talking to our brother. I'm going to pursue this woman, right? We can, we can, there's certain races that we can choose. You know, there's certain races we shouldn't choose. There are certain things God says, you don't need to be in that. You don't need to be doing that. I think of the missionary, Eric Little. He was born in China to missionary parents at the age of eight. He moved back to England, went to a Christian boarding school, excelled in sports. By the time he graduated uh, grade school, he was the captain of his cricket team, captain of his rugby team, fastest boy in the school. Because of that, he went up to Edinburgh, um, Scotland, to the University of Edinburgh. And while there, he broke the British record for the 100-meter sprint. He ran it in under 10 seconds. I don't know about you, but after 
a buffet at college for four years and then being married and then deputation, I don't have the, the under 10 second, 100 meter sprint. I don't know about you, I don't have it. But because of that race that he ran, he was selected to the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, France. When he got there to Paris, France, maybe you know the story. He got there and one of his preliminary heats was scheduled for a Sunday. And he went, I'm sure you know where I'm going now. He went to the man in charge of the race. He said, I can't run. The man said, you've got to be kidding me. Why can't you run? I mean, you're a shoo-in for the gold medal. You hold the record. No one's ever run it as fast as you've run it. And Eric Little said, well, before I'm a racer, <laughs> I'm a Christian. And this race is held on Sunday, and I'm not going to be on the track on Sunday. I'm going to be in church on Sunday. And you know what? He didn't run the 100-meter sprint, but he had a greater race to run. And can I say in our lives, there are certain races that we have to decide, I'm not going to run in that. God doesn't want me in it. But can I tell you one race as children of God that we all have? It's the race of carrying the gospel to a lost and dying world. Maybe you say, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be a pastor's wife. I'm not called to be a Christian school teacher. Uh, pastor Sexton there at Crown College, he says all the time, we may not all be called to full-time ministry, but as God's children, we're all called to be full-time Christians. And a Christian carries the gospel message. That's one uh, race we don't have a choice in as God's children. Now, let me ask you a question. Who was the very first person to carry the gospel message? It wasn't Peter. It wasn't James. It wasn't John. It wasn't any of the 12 disciples. It certainly wasn't Paul. Who was it that was the very first person to carry the gospel message? Let me take a few steps back. Who was, I'll even take a few steps back. Who was the first, who was the last person at the cross the, the day that Jesus Christ was crucified? You know, we're coming up. It's next week, isn't it? It's this week, actually. Who was the last person there that watched Joseph of Arimathea beg the body of Christ from Pilate, watched Joseph take the body of Christ off the tomb? Who was it that followed Joseph or took him off the cross, followed him to the tomb after Joseph put him in the tomb and the, the stone was rolled over it? Who then, the Bible says, sat over against and watched the sepulcher? Who, three days later after the Sabbath, was the first person to show up? It was these two ladies, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Can I give you a great Bible principle, church? God honors those who are faithful to him. God honors faithfulness. And these two ladies, they were faithful to the Lord throughout his earthly ministry, through his persecution and his suffering, through his death, through his burial, even into his resurrection. And because of their faithfulness, they were the first people to carry the gospel message. They were the first ones to be told, hey, go tell his disciples he's no longer in that grave. What is the gospel? It is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the first ones to carry that good news that their Savior was no longer dead. Amen? As we look at this race, let's take a few things from these ladies' life and from their experience. Notice firstly with me the employment to run. The employment to run. Look at verse number six. The angel is speaking to the ladies. He's speaking about Christ. And in verse six, he says, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now notice these two phrases. Come see the place, go quickly and tell. 
Can I say that first phrase, come see the place? That is the call to every single human being in the world. Do you know the Bible points towards one thing for every man and every woman that has ever been born? It is very simply this, come see what Christ has done. See how he died on the cross. See how he was laid down. See how he rose again the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. See how he paid for their sins. That is the call to every single person. You know, these ladies, this angel could have come down, stopped him and said, now look, he's not in there. Go tell his disciples. But did he do that? No. Because what if those ladies would have got a mile down the road and then said to each other, did we just have a vision? I mean, did you look in the tomb? No, I didn't look in the tomb. Did you look in? No, he could have still been in there. I didn't see it. They could have doubted it, but the angel didn't want them to doubt it, did he? God didn't want them to doubt it. So the angel was told to tell them, come see the place. Know for certain he's not in there. And may I say, every one of us, we have to know what God can do in our hearts before we go tell the world what he can do in theirs. We have to know he's our savior before we can go. Pastor Sexton, he says all the time, the noun comes before the verb. We must be a witness of what he's done in our life before we can go witness to other people. The noun comes before the verb. These ladies, they were first told, come and see Then they were told, go quickly and tell. And this second phrase, this is the command of every child of God. Go quickly and tell that he's risen from the dead. Church, this is your employment to run. This is my employment to run. Do you want to know why my wife and I are going to the United Kingdom? Because we were told, go quickly and tell. Do you know why you're commanded to give the gospel here in Rapid City, South Dakota? It's because you were told to go quickly and tell. It's the command of every one of God's children. Paul, he said in 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. You know what Paul said? He's quoting the psalmist from Psalm 116. The psalmist said, God saved my life. He saved my feet from slipping. He saved my eyes from crying. And the psalmist said in Psalm 116, because he's done that, I'll talk about him. And Paul quotes him and says, look, because I've believed, now I'm gonna speak. Because we as Christians have believed, therefore we must speak. It can't sit dormant in our minds, church. We have the greatest news the world has ever heard. And our employment is to go quickly and tell. We have the employment to run. But secondly, notice the example for running. Maybe you say, Brother Jonathan, I know that I'm supposed to tell, but how do I do it? Look at verse 8. The Bible says, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Notice these four things very quickly. They ran quickly with fear, with joy, and they ran bringing the word. Notice this, they ran quickly. Can I say this? We must be quick in going. Maybe you say, I've only been a Christian, Brother Jonathan, a few weeks I've only known the Lord for a month. I've only known the Lord for a year. I've not had the four-year Bible degree. I've not, I can't preach verse by verse through the Bible. I can't, I don't have the 16-week series on how to lead someone to Christ. Can I tell you, those things are good, but they're not needed. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you may not be able to preach verse by verse. I certainly can't. I'll attest to that. You know what? I couldn't just pick up, go from Genesis 1 to the end and preach every verse without any preparation but I can tell someone what God has done in my life. We need to be quick and going. Not just quick and going, but quick and telling. You know, when the Holy Spirit lays it on our heart that we need to share the gospel with somebody or we need to invite someone to church, we must be quick in in obeying. We can't beat around the bush. 
Do you know that delayed obedience is still disobedience? Do you know that incomplete obedience is still disobedience? The Holy Spirit says, invite that person to church, and we talk about every other thing in the world, and then as they're walking away, we say, hey, by the way, come to church. And that's all we do. Church, we must obey quickly. We must tell quickly. You know, these ladies, as soon as they were told, go tell, they departed quickly. We must go quickly. Can I give you an example? I've got a track here, and I'm going to say you, but just know I'm talking about myself. How many of you have ever been to a drive-thru? And you get to that first thing and you order your cheeseburger, coffee, whatever it is, lots of coffee on the deputation trail. And we get your coffee. You go to that first window. You pay the lady or the man there at the first window. You get to that second window. And as soon as you pull up, the Holy Spirit says to your heart, you need to invite that person to church. I mean, you've got that stack of tracks in the door. That's why they're there, right? I mean, they're there because it only takes a second to say, hey, we'd love to have you at church. But as soon as the Holy Spirit says, you need to invite that person to church, your flesh starts saying, you don't know what they're like. They could be a Christian and think you're weird for inviting people to church. They could be a Christian but go to another church and think, well, why are you inviting people to your church? I want to invite people to my church. They could be an atheist and think you're crazy. I mean, they're touching your food. You don't want to offend somebody who's touching your food. I mean, there, there's COVID outside. Nobody wants to take a piece of paper that's been in your car and take it into a food establishment. Immediately, every excuse comes up. And before you realize it, you get your food, you drive off, never inviting that person to church. And the Holy Spirit is eating you up inside because you didn't obey. Church, we got to go quickly. We've got to tell quickly. Some of you are saying you got to preach quickly. Amen. The second thing, look at verse 8. They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear. Now, church, I understand it, and I, I would easily say I'm sure these ladies were afraid. I mean, they just saw an angel, right? If Isaiah 6 is anything to go by, this angel had six wings, who knows how many eyes, and he probably was scary, right? If we see modern day depictions. But I think more than just a physical fear, I think they had an understanding of the responsibility that was laid on their shoulders. And may I say this, as we carry the gospel message, we need to have a, a holy fear that the God of the universe has entrusted it to us to carry this message. You know, the Bible talks about how God could have written it in the sky, he could have sent angels down to preach, but what did he do? No, he used his church. The foolishness of preaching is what he's using. And we need to go with fear. We need to understand we have the greatest responsibility the world has ever heard. You say, I've protected the president. Whether it's this president or any other president, it's not as important as carrying the gospel message. You say, I have this job, or I have that job, or I have this responsibility. All of it pales in comparison to carrying the gospel message because the creator God has put us, his children, on his mission, and we must go in fear. Do you remember uh, Ezekiel 33? You know how God talks about the watchman? And you can study the whole passage for yourself, but God explains about the watchman to Ezekiel. He says, son of man, I've set you as a watchman. And he says, look, the watchman, he stands on the wall. He watches for the enemy. When he sees the enemy coming, he warns the people. Now, if the people listen, nobody gets hurt. It's great. If the people don't listen, somebody dies. The, uh, the Bible says that their blood is on their hands. But if the watchman stands on the wall, sees the enemy coming and doesn't warn them, and anyone dies, the Bible says in Ezekiel 33, their blood is on his hands. May I say, church, we are the watchmen standing on the wall. 
You know, we know what's coming, don't we? It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We know what's coming after this life. We have the answer. We need to warn the people. We need to go with fear. But then notice this. They departed quickly with fear and great joy. Now, our brother, as he was leading, he was talking about having great joys. He was leading singing. Why is it that Christian people are known as some of the grumpiest people in the world? Why is it? I mean, am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. I've not been around that long, but I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure Christian people are often thought of as the grumpiest people. My wife, she worked as a waitress for Shoney's. I don't know if you have Shoney's here, but you know Shoney's, yeah. All right. She worked as a waitress at Shoney's during her time there at Crown College, and she had a coworker who told her her least favorite day to work, can anybody guess? was Sunday. Why is it? Well, that church crowd's coming. Pastor's been preaching too long. They had to wait on him. Then, then they get to the restaurant and uh, the other denomination, they beat them there. So now they got to wait on a table. And then when they get to their table, um, the, the waitress gave them unsweet tea instead of sweet tea, which apparently I, I'm not, I'm so thankful to be here, but I've not had sweet tea since I crossed into South Dakota. Every, every restaurant I've been to, there's been no sweet tea. I'm from Indiana, but I mean, like, I can't even find it here. <laughs> but that waitress gives you unsweet tea instead of sweet tea. Your steak is medium instead of medium rare or medium well, and every little thing is a problem. And then before you know it, you leave. You didn't leave a tip, and that waitress is thinking, I don't want to be a Christian. They're some of the grumpiest people. Now, church, why is that? We have the greatest news the world has ever heard. Understand, our sins have been forgiven. We are part of the family of God. We have the answer to every problem the world has ever heard. Why are we grumpy? These ladies ran with joy. Their Messiah that they had followed for three and a half years, that they had watched die and buried, they were there when he was buried. He was no longer in the grave. He was alive. And they ran with joy. I made a joke a few weeks ago as I was preaching this passage, and my wife just, she didn't stop laughing, so I'm going to warn her before she starts laughing. Can I say this? We ought to have enough bugs in our teeth because as we're running, we're smiling. We're happy. We have the joy of the Lord. You know it's one part of the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed the Bible doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit? They all come together. When the Holy Spirit isn't quenched in our life, we get love, joy, and, and the rest of them, right? It's one part of it. So if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, why isn't joy showing through us? Church, these ladies, they ran with joy. We need to run with joy. Then lastly, in this second point, they ran quickly in verse 8 with fear, with joy. And notice this, and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now, church, understand this is the most important part. You know, these ladies, they didn't have the full written word of God, but they had the oral word. They had the oral news. They could take it by word of mouth and speak it. Can I say we have the completed word of God? You know, this Bible, it doesn't contain everything that God knows, but it contains everything he wants us to know. It contains the answer to every problem, and we need to run bringing the word. You can't be a soldier in the Lord's army and not carry your sword. You know, a soldier knows his sword. It's an extension of him. Is this book an extension of our life? You know, the most embarrassing thing, and I'm preparing for my ordination, and you can ask your pastor, that's a scary thing. 
I think that's one of the scariest things I'm looking forward to in the next month. But you know, the most embarrassing thing is when someone comes to me and says, what does the Bible say about this? And I have to tell them, I don't know. Why don't you know? Been a Christian since I was seven years old. I'm 25. Been a Christian more since I've been alive than not. Why don't I know it? Why don't I know God's word? Why don't I know? We only have one textbook. Why don't I know it? Church, understand, I was just studying about Islam and we're working with Muslim people throughout the United Kingdom and I'm studying more and more about it. When Islam was founded, the Jews and the Christians that were in that part of the Middle East, you know what they were known as? They were known as people of the book. You want to know why? They had a holy book and they knew it. You know, the Islamic religion, they didn't have at the time of its founding a holy book. And a lot of people speculate that uh, over, I think, 85% of Muslim people at the beginning were illiterate. Muhammad was almost entirely illiterate, the one who wrote the Quran, and yet they didn't know their book. But the Christians then, they were known as people of the book. Why aren't we known as that now? Church, we ought to know our Bible. If our country is going to continue being a Christian nation, we need a revolution back to the Bible. We don't need a political revolution. We don't need a social revolution. We need a revolution back to the Bible. We need to be people of the book. Charles Spurgeon, I had the opportunity of going to London several times, but I went inside the Metropolitan Tabernacle where he was the pastor for many years. And I was reading one of the things about his preaching. And there was one time he was preaching, and I'll just tell you, he said this. I'm not saying this to you. This is what he said. Okay, he was standing there and he preached more from like a desk like that than a pulpit. He had gout very bad and would lean on the desk as he preached. And he was preaching one time full tilt and he slammed his Bible down on the edge of the desk and he looked at his congregation and he said, there's more sin or there's enough, excuse me, there's enough dust on the cover of your Bibles to write the word sin. He said it, not me. But then he said this. He said, a verse in your heart and in your mind is better than a Bible on the shelf that never gets opened. A verse that you know, that you can, God can use in you and God can use through you to bless others. That's better than a pretty Bible that never gets opened up, that never gets read. Church, we need to be people of the book. I was so thrilled and ashamed at the same time when you started reading or singing scripture songs because I only knew one of them. I want to learn the rest of the ones you sang. That was, that was amazing. I'd never heard all the other ones except the last one. And it's amazing that you know these scripture verses and you know God's word. These ladies, they ran bringing the word. We must do the same. We see the employment to run. We see the example for running. Lastly, very quickly, notice the encouragement that we receive while we're running. What did these ladies see as they went? Look at verse 9. And uh, church, if you've got your Bible there, Matthew 28, verse number 9. I'm going to read, and when I stop, would you say the next word? Verse number 9, Matthew 28. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold... Ooh, let's try it again. Are you ready? And as they went to tell his disciples' word, behold... Jesus. Jesus. What was their encouragement? As they went, the Bible says Jesus met them. As they obeyed, God met them in the way. You know, it's Warren Wearsby. He said, it is when we are obeying God's word that he comes to us. You say, brother, I want to see God's blessing in my life. 
I want to see him bless my ministry and I'm just sitting here and I'm waiting for him to bless me. Can I tell you, stand up and run. And as you run, he'll bless you. As you go, he'll meet you. These ladies, as they went, Jesus met them. Now, what did he say to them that was so encouraging? Look at verse 10 and we'll close with this verse. Verse number 10, how did he encourage them? Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Church, don't we need to hear that? Doesn't the world today need to hear that? Christians today need to remember that verse. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These ladies, Jesus Christ came to them and he comforted them. He said, look, you just saw the angel. I'm sure you were scared. You just saw everything that went on. I'm sure it doesn't all make sense, but can I tell you, be not afraid. And as we run this race, he says, child, I know that you're facing things you never thought you'd face. You have questions you never thought of an answer to, but can I tell you, be not afraid. When we're in God's will, there's no reason for fear. Now, let me clarify something. There is a fine line between faith and foolishness. God desires and commands us to live a life of faith. He told his disciples very plainly, have faith in God. We must have faith, but faith doesn't mean we're foolish. Faith doesn't throw common sense to the wind. And the words of one preacher, I have faith. I'm not scared of COVID, but I'm not going to go lick every doorknob in the church. You know, there's, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness, right? We need to have faith, but we don't need to have fear. We need to be smart and careful, but we don't need to be afraid. He said to these ladies, be not afraid. He comforted them. But then look at the next part. Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. Not only did he comfort them, he confirmed what they were doing. Now look at this. The angel told the ladies, he's risen from the dead. Go into, go into Galilee. Tell my brethren that he's going into Galilee, right? Then Jesus Christ meets them on the way and he says, look, the angel told you, go tell my brethren that I'm going into Galilee. And, and Jesus says, and I'm telling you the same thing. I'm confirming, this is what I want you to do. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. He uses the exact same language, the exact same words. Can I say, as we live the Christian life, every step of the way, God says, this is right where I want you to be. Every time of obedience, he says, this is just what I want you to do. Every time we share the gospel, he says, this is right, what I want you to be doing. Every step of the way, one of the greatest joys about deputation is that every step of the way, God has said, Jonathan Gracie, this is right where I want you to be. He confirms every step, this is what I want you to be doing. You know, I get to stand up every week and give the testimony that in under two years, God has brought us up to 90% of our support. And you talk to some mission boards and they say it should take at least four. And you know, I say that's nothing of us. It's all of him. And every step of the way, I can say, I know I'm right in what God wants me to do. He's confirming this. This is where he wants me to be. So he comforts them. He confirms what they're doing. And then notice this last part of verse 10. He says, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Can I tell you the greatest encouragement we have as we run this race as a Christian? Jesus Christ promised that he would go before us and he'd wait for us at the finish line. You know, these, this, these ladies were said, go tell my brethren, I go into Galilee and there shall they see me. You know, Jesus Christ is standing on the edge of eternity. He's standing at the end of your race. And he's saying, child, you're almost here. Child, I'm here waiting for you. I'm right here. 
Just keep running. Don't slow down now. I'm right here at the end. I've taken every step. The Bible says he's been tempted every way we've been tempted, yet without sin. He knows everything we're going to go through, and he's there at the end, and he's waiting on us. Church, we can be encouraged that as we run our race, our Savior doesn't just meet us every step of the way. He's omnipresent. He's not just there in every step. He's at the finish line waiting for us to get there. And church, we can be encouraged while we run that he's there waiting. These ladies were encouraged. We can be encouraged too. I wonder, are you running your race this evening? Are you carrying the gospel message? Maybe we get to the end and you say, Brother Jonathan, I've heard the message, but I still, I don't really understand. Can you just put it in simple terms? What does it mean to run my race? Can I finish where I started? I read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where we run our race. Verse 2 says this, the first three words, looking unto Jesus. You say, how do I run? Looking at him. Where do I run? When your focus is on him, you'll always run the right way. How do I run? Looking unto Jesus. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Church, can I just say this as we run our race? Three words, looking unto Jesus. That's the guide for every Christian for his entire life. I wonder, dear Christian, do you, do you want to get to the end of your life and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I want to hear those words. Do you know how you hear them? You run your race. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. Your pastor can't run your race. Every child of God must run their race. Are you running your race this evening? Let's carry the gospel message to a lost and dying world. Would you bow with me in prayer?